Well, it can be dreary outside, but it's bright with the praise of the Lord here this morning, right? Oh, how great our God is. He's greatly to be praised, right? Thank you. Thank you, Doug, for that amazing testimony. And as Doug and I were saying, we gathered for prayer before the service. It seems like how God works his miraculous things and does what only he can do. And then we're surprised by it. Uh, He does exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think. And we praise him for that. So, amen. Grace greater than all of our sin. That's a wonderful theme, isn't it? Don't you treasure that theme? Knowing how great your sin is, my sin, and our sin may loom in front of us like Mount Leconte in the Smokies. But what is Mount Leconte compared to the Mount Everest of God's grace? And so we are so thankful for that truth. You know, it was that truth, though, and that message that got the Apostle Paul in a lot of trouble. As a matter of fact, if you read carefully the New Testament, you'll find that what got Paul in trouble more than anything else was his belief and his declaration that God's grace is greater than all of our sin. He magnified the grace of God. My friend, when you consider the grace of God, it is amazing grace, isn't it? It's astounding. It makes no sense. It's incomprehensible. There's no words that you can use to describe it. Your mind can't contain it, but your heart can receive it, right? And so Paul is celebrating grace greater than all of our sin, and a lot of people are not happy about that. And he's addressing that in Romans chapter 6. So if you'd turn there to the passage that Fred read for us in Romans chapter 6, you'll notice that Paul is addressing in that context that very message, grace greater than all of our sin, and the opposition from religious people about that message of grace greater than all of our sin. Not too long ago, I was driving down Kingston Pike, and I saw a man who evidently was hired for some advertising, and he was wearing one of these, what used to be called a sandwich board. You know those? Okay. He's walking back and forth, message on the front, message on the back. He's walking back and forth. And my first thought was, God bless him. At least he's working. <laughs> I won't say a whole lot more about that. It's such a rare thing anymore. But it reminded me, when I saw him, of a story that I heard a pastor share one time. He was in downtown Los Angeles, and there was a man walking the sidewalk in downtown Los Angeles, and he had one of these sandwich boards on. And as the man approached him, he could see the board said on the front of him these words, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And then the man walked past him, and the pastor looked back at him, and on the back, the board said, whose slave are you? (laughs) I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Whose slave are you? Now, regardless of whether you or I might wear that sandwich board, it is startling, it's attention-getting, And friend, I hope that we recognize, so is the Bible's message of grace and freedom in Christ. It is startling when you comprehend it, or try to comprehend it, rather. It is attention-grabbing. 
when it is truly shared. Now Paul here, as we read chapter 6, is displaying his ability as a trained orator. You have to understand not only was Paul trained as one of the great scholars of the Hebrew faith, he was also trained as an orator in the Greek tradition at that time. And so as a trained orator and a skilled debater, he actually anticipates what the arguments are going to be against his position. And he actually himself (laughs) makes the argument against himself and then he answers it. That's pretty sharp, right? And that's actually what Paul is doing here. He has made a startling statement in chapter 5. If you look there, verse 20, we just sang about it. It says in chapter 5, verse 20, Now the law came in to increase the trespass, that we might understand how sinful we really are compared to the law of God. The law came to show us our need. But notice this, where we saw how sinful we truly are to God's law, where sin increased in our understanding, grace abounded all the more. (laughs) What is that? Grace that is greater than all our sin. That's what Paul is saying. Now, Paul is declaring this and as he declares it he already knows what some religious leaders are going to say perverting the grace of God perverting his message and making the grace of God a license to sin and my friends it's difficult to get much lower than that When you make the grace of God the engine for sinful living. But here is what his opponents say. And he puts the question out there. Verse 1 of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And then look, he almost asked the same question in verse 15 in our reading today. What then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? By no means. Meginita is the Greek. Absolutely unthinkable. The King James renders it, God forbid, that we would make this message of grace A license to sin. It's actually this. Well, if God's grace is made greater and demonstrated to be more glorious by overcoming sin, well, then why don't we just sin all the more to make God's grace all the more glorious? This is what Paul was being accused of. He was being accused of giving people a license through his message of grace To live their life in the most ungodly and profligate matter. To just live it because, hey, there's no law, there's no judgment because of God's grace. So therefore, let's make God's grace even greater by sinning all the more. Now what is Paul's answer to that? Well, Paul's answer to that is Romans 6. His first answer, and it encompasses all of chapter 6. What is Romans chapter 6 all about? That this grace that is new in our lives has given us a new identity. You could say that. You could say that a person who has been forgiven by grace and they understand grace now says, well, let's just sin all the more. If you didn't understand something, the grace that saves you changes you. It's not just a statement. 
There's a reality. My friend, because what is grace? Do you understand this? Grace is God himself. There's not some quantity out here called grace. It's like a bucket of something God pours on people. Grace is the reality of the life of God himself to lifeless, dead, depraved sinners. That's what grace is. It's God moving into people's lives who are not just in need of a little help, but they are dead in their trespasses and sins. They are not trying to find God. They're running from him. They don't deserve God's mercy. They deserve God's judgment. Who am I talking about? Me. And I might mean you too, if you're wondering about it. We have a new identity. How do we have a new identity? Because something has really happened. What's really happened? Verses 2 through 14. We were united with Christ. Christ is our substitute. So Christ came to us who were Dead in the family of Adam. We were all part of the Adam family. <laughs> and I started to go da 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 da. <laughs> and I, I knew that you'd be clicking, some of you, okay, that'd be it. We were in the Adam's family. And in Adam, we're dead. We're, we're without hope. But God sent a second Adam. Not the man from up out of the dirt, but the Lord of glory, the Son of God, who became man, God incarnate. Why? To be our substitute. Because the first Adam, the man of the earth, blew it. And we lost in him. When our head, Adam, died in sin... We, all of us, were in him. We died with him. Now, God has sent another Adam, a second Adam, for a new family. The family of God for all who will be born into his family, born again by the grace of God. So what does that mean? Jesus was living the life we could not live. For 33 years, he lived a life for us. Then having lived the life we could not live, he died the death we deserve to die. On the cross, he took our place. Then what happened? He was buried. Well, if, he was, if we were in him in his life and we were in him in his death, where are we in his burial? We're buried with him. Where are we in his resurrection? We're resurrected with him. Amen. Where are we in his ascension? We are in heaven. Already in the heavenlies, in the spirit, we're already there. And we are awaiting till our head returns, our federal head, Jesus returns, and his body, his church, is joined with him forever. This is, folks, listen, this is real. You say, well, I don't quite understand it. Well, join the club. All of us believe things. That God shares in his word that we can't quite comprehend. But they're true. So we have a new identity. Because why? We were united in Christ. Now we have a new identity. Not only united with Christ. But we have been liberated by Christ. Christ died not only for our sins. Plural. Praise God. But he died for sin. Singular. Notice, Romans 6 here does not talk about sins, plural. Sin. Jesus died to defeat the power of sin. By defeating the prince of sin, Satan. 
by defeating the penalty of sin, death. He died for sin. And dying and being victorious over sin, he did that for his people. So we have been liberated by Christ. We're not who we used to be. And we're not all we're going to be. (laughs) But we have been united with Christ. We've been liberated by Christ. We still sin. But it is not natural to us. It's unnatural because we're children of God who sin and we run to the Father. But who are we? We are liberated people. Now that's verses 15 to 23. Our liberation with Christ. Who are we? We're not servants of sin anymore. We're servants of Christ. Therefore, we are servants of freedom. You could say we are slaves of freedom. And that's what I want us to look at just for a few minutes. Here's three realities if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And whether you have just begun to believe in Christ or whether you've been believing for 50 years, these three realities are true. Number one, we're going to talk about the principle of slavery. Number two, the practice of slavery. And number three, the product of slavery. That's what Paul talks about regarding our liberation in Christ. Number one, the principle of slavery. In order to understand what Paul is saying here, we have to understand the practice of physical slavery. Slavery is awful, terrible, horrible sin. Slavery was rampant in the Roman Empire. Do you recognize that it's estimated conservatively that about one-third of the population of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves? And when you added that to the number of people who had been former slaves, but they were able through their work to purchase their freedom... It's estimated that one half of the population of the Roman Empire either were slaves or had been slaves. Matter of fact, there's a Jewish historian from the first century. His name's Flavius Josephus. He talks about how the city of Rome had so many slaves in it that they came up with the idea, the Senate was considering the idea of having all the slaves wear a different kind of garment. But then they found out how many they were, and they didn't want the slaves to know how many they were. They said, that's not a good idea, to let them know there be more of them than there are of us. Think about it this. Probably at least one half of our brothers and sisters in Christ in that early church, the early believers, one half of them were slaves. Now, since these Christians understood slavery so well, and to help them recognize their identity in Christ, Paul uses that image of physical slavery to convey the understanding of spiritual reality. Physical slavery slavery, to help them understand the principle of spiritual slavery. What's the principle of spiritual slavery? Here it is. This is slavery. Verse 16, the definition. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Now, what Paul is sharing here is so clear, it's so clear to the people that that he's asking a hypothetical question, a rhetorical question. 
Don't you understand this he's saying? And of course they understand it. It's such an absolute certainty what he is saying. It's actually an axiom. What is an axiom? An axiom is a truth so obvious it needs no proof. An axiom is a truth that's so obvious it needs no proof. What is that axiom about spiritual slavery? Listen carefully. You are a slave to whomever or whatever you serve. That's the principle of verse 16. Here is the principle of spiritual slavery. You are a slave to whomever or whatever you serve. Now sadly, in spite of how obvious this truth is, some people still deny its application to their lives. Some people remind me of the man who was convinced he could fly. And just to prove it, he went to the top of a skyscraper in Manhattan. And he jumped off. And as he passed a window cleaner about the 75th story, the window cleaner heard him say, so far, so good. So far, so good. So here's this fellow plummeting to the earth. And in his mind, he's saying, I'm free. I'm free. But too late, totally and terribly, is that man going to have a reality check? No doubt there are individuals, some in this room, some watching, who are thinking of your lives. So far, so good. So far, so good. But in reality, you are falling like a rock. Into deeper bondage. Headed for ruin and shambles of your life. And for some here, perhaps... Or some listening, it is actually a deceptive descent into hell. And every day you're thinking, so far, so good. And you're one heartbeat from hell. You say, I don't believe in hell. Well, you might as well not believe in the sun. Believe it or not, it's there. The same God who said there is a heaven to gain in Christ... He warns us of a hell. And he sent his son to span that horrible chasm. You see, you can live a life of denial. Spiritual slavery is a very real thing. And people are in denial about it. Denial is not just a river in Egypt, my friend. Where is it most common? Where do you find this denial most common? Out on the streets? Out among people who are not living good lives? No, it's most common among religious people. Who have just enough religion to make them miserable in life. And not enough religion to make them happy in church. So they're miserable all the time. In Jesus' day, he spoke that he came to what? What did we sing this morning? Who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. And he shared that. And you know what the religious leader said? What? Why? We are Abraham's children. And we have never been in bondage to any man. People sound like that when you're doing stage. We've never been in bondage to any man. Can you think of that? 400 years, slaves in Egypt. During the judges, seven different nations ruled them. Carried away into captivity in Babylon... For 70 years, 
Right now, they're standing there saying, we've never been anyone's servant. They've got Roman coins in their pocket, and Roman soldiers are watching them. But they're free. They're free indeed. Perhaps there's some here today who say, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a Christian in America. I'm free. I'm a Christian in America. But in reality, you're not free. Why? Because you're not Mastered by freedom. Say I'm free, but you're a slave to work. You're a slave to greed. Possessions. It's how you keep score. A slave to leisure. Work now and then, but most important thing, enjoy a lot of laid back and chilled out time. Don't get too anxious about anything. Slave to taking it easy. Slave to sensuality. And some, slave to unforgiveness. You're not free. You'll never be free until you forgive in Jesus' name just as you were forgiven. And some people say they're free and they're slaves to bitterness. They've been professing Jesus for decades. And as the years go by, here's what you hear less and less from them. Gratitude and praise to God. And more and more complaints about what's not to their liking. My friend, listen to me. Out of the mouth, the heart speaks. And a person who is in awareness of the forgiveness and grace of God is not going to be a bitter, complaining Christian. You say, well, you might be talking about me, Sam. I probably am. (laughs) Not certain? Let's talk. Are you really free? Does your face know about it? (laughs) You say, well, my friends tell me so. Well, are those real friends? A friend loves you enough to tell the truth. Listen to Paul's piercing question. Listen to it, brothers and sisters. Here is the axiom. Verse 16. Do you not know... If you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey. Either sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. You see, there's only really two masters. There's the master of sin. What is the master of sin? Well, friends, again, sin is not some dirty bucket of substance that exists out there in the dark spirit world. That's not what sin is. Sin is your own selfishness, your own self-focus. It's life apart from the authority of God. That's what sin is. It's pride. What is obedience? That's the other master. There's sin, Paul says, or there's master of obedience. What is the master of obedience? It's to be savior focused. You don't obey the Lord because you have to, because he'll get you. You obey him because you want to, because he got you. Your heart's been changed and the love of Christ compels you. To serve him. That is the master of obedience. Who controls you? Self or savior? No one can serve two masters. You cannot rule over your life. Monday through Saturday. And come and sing that Jesus is Lord on Sunday. Not in truth. My friend, he's the Lord of every day. Well, how does a believer 
live in his or her identity? How do you live as a free person? That's the question then. This leads to Paul's challenge. Here's Paul's challenge. The practice of slavery. He calls us to the practice of slavery. He begins with the proclamation of the truth. The truth of every believer's identity. And as he begins and he thinks about our identity, you know what? He just gets caught up in doxology. What's doxology? Praise to God. Listen to him. Verse 17. But thanks be to God. There's doxology. Thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. And you have become obedient from the heart to that standard of teaching. The gospel message is what he's talking about. To which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Now in effect, Paul says this. He says to believe in Jesus. If you believe in Jesus, then rejoice in your transformation. Rejoice in your transformation. Isn't this wonderful? Look at these tenses of what Paul says. Verse 17. But thanks be to God that you were. Past tense. You were slaves of sin. But now you have become perfect tense. Something has happened in the past and it continues to control the present. You were slaves of sin, but by God's grace you have become. You have become slaves of righteousness. My friend, listen. This idea that all of your life you're going to live in recovery. My friend, we, we're living in renewal. Amen. We have been redeemed. We are not who we used to be. And don't accept that identity. Of course you still sin. I still sin. But we are not who we once were. We have become new people, new creations in Christ. Transformation has brought emancipation. What? Now you are slaves to righteousness. <laughs> Notice, it's the principle of slavery. Slaves to sin or slaves to righteousness. This is a believer's true freedom. What's true freedom for a believer? Slavery to righteousness. Slavery to our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, the King of glory and grace, the King of love. And so Paul calls on us to respond to this transformation. We rejoice in this transformation. It has truly happened by God's grace. But now I need to respond to it. Verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms, he says. What's he mean? I'm not saying, you're all slaves. That's not what he's saying. He's using slavery as an illustration. Don't get all bent out of shape because he's talking about slavery. There's a point that he's making. He's using a human image. He's saying Make sure you understand your identity. Verse 19. Because of your natural limitations. I'm speaking in these human terms. For just as you once presented the members of your body as slaves to impurity. And to lawlessness and more lawlessness. Now. That that cycle has been broken by Jesus Christ. You have something you must initiate as well. Present yourself, present your body as slaves to righteousness that is leading to your sanctification. What is that? More and more freedom. 
You see, as you surrender your life more and more to Jesus, as you more and more become a servant of Jesus, you become more and more a free person. (laughs) Who the sun sets free, what? Free indeed. Free indeed. We are slaves if we're Christians, but we are free. We are servants of Jesus, but we are free. Why? Because the love of Christ, the love of God has been poured out in our heart. We've been given a new mind. And there is within us a deep desire to please the one who gave his life for us. Does that sound like slavery to you? Slavery to Christ is our greatest freedom. That's what Paul's saying. This is one of those Christian contradictions. You know, the Bible's full of Christian contradictions. They, they look to us upside down. You know why? Because we're sinners. And really, the Lord, if you think about it, doesn't turn things upside down. He turns them what? Right side up. And the fact that we're upside down, upside down is really right side up. And so the process of sanctification, in a way, is more and more getting turned right side up. To see life as God wants us to see it, which is reality. So what's it look like? Here's here's Christian contradictions. Service is leadership. You want to be a leader? Pick up a basin and towel. Start there. Don't go take a course on it from people who don't know a thimbleful about it. Don't go read books about it from people who wouldn't know God in a 40-acre field. Go help somebody. And feel the joy of the Lord in your heart. That's leadership. Jesus said, I'm your Lord and Master. You want to know who's greatest in the kingdom? Here. Serve. Pick up the basin and towel. Humility is honor. Submission is promotion. (laughs) Weakness is what? Strength, I'm strong in the Lord, but I can't be strong in the Lord and strong in myself. It's strong in the Lord and I don't depend on the weakness of my own flesh. Here's another contradiction. Slavery is freedom. Slavery to Christ is the freest life you could ever live. It's the path of freedom. That's what God calls us to daily, deliberately. We present ourselves as slaves of righteousness. Why? Because that's who we are. And because God knows. And he calls us to this because God knows the product of being a slave to Christ. And that's the last thing I want you to see. What is the product of being a slave to Jesus? One word. Paul uses it. Life. Life. What is the product of sin? Death. There is a way that seems right to a man, the Bible says, but the end of that way is what? Death. And it is truly a life or death matter. Listen to Paul. Listen to the Lord who's speaking through Paul. Verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. You didn't really care. I don't really care what the Bible says. Don't know much about what the Bible says. Really haven't thought much about it. So I'm a free man. Yeah, tell that to the traffic officer next time you say, I didn't know about that. (laughs) Knowledge of the law is what? It's not release to be unaccountable. Verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But now, think, what fruit were you getting 
at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. I hope you thank God you woke up on New Year's morning not hungover. What freedom that is. Whoa, what a party. My head's killing me. I'm sick to my stomach. I don't even remember how I got here. Wow, what freedom. Free like those Hollywood stars. <laughs> Magazines and the checkout counters can't even really tell you the truth about them. That's freedom. Keep it for yourself. What did Jesus say? If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. There is a, a liberty without regret. And there's, a, there's a freedom in knowing your sins are forgiven. You bear them no more. They were nailed to the cross. Buried in the depths of the deepest sea. You'll never face them again. Isn't that freedom? You think you could ever do enough in your entire life to be free in your mind from all those things? But thank God, one drop of blood of Jesus cleanses you, cleanses and gives peace to your conscience that my righteousness is Christ, not my own. Important to note, this life and death that Paul is talking about is not future. It's past and present. Did you notice that? It's past tense. This has happened. And now this is present tense. It's not that one day you're going to be free. Of course, one day we will be totally, completely from this old body. Free at last. Free at last. Thank God Almighty. Free at last. But... We are the children of freedom in Christ because when He triumphed, we triumphed in Him. Here is reality. Here is truth. According to the Word of God, living a self-focused and self-directed life is slavery and death. Living in submission and service to, and to God is freedom and life. If you don't hear anything else, this is what Paul is saying. This is the crux of it all. Some of you are saying, well, why didn't you just do that 40 minutes ago, all right? <laughs> Living a self-focused and self-directed life. What is that? That's called all the advertisement in the world about what will make you happy. This is what you're told 10,000 times a week and tens of millions of times in your life. And I am too. That taking control of my life, focusing on myself, being in charge of my life is going to lead me to freedom. And what does the Bible say? It is slavery and death. You should never submit to anybody. That's to lose your identity. You have your truth. You stand in your truth. What a bunch of garbage. Here is freedom living in submission to the service of God. That's life. What is freedom? Jesus said that you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is the truth about freedom. That the truth is you find your life not in carving it out for yourself. What did Jesus say? You find your life when you lose it to me. What is freedom? It's living for the purpose for which God created you. Prodigal son. He thought he wasn't really living under his father's control. Can't take the chariot out whenever I want. Stay away from those girls at the well. Don't like that style of toga you're wearing. 
You know what he said? I want what is mine. Give it to me now. Just literally saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. But since you're not dead yet, give me what will be mine when you are dead. Well, guess what? He got what he wanted, but it wasn't long till he didn't want what he got. Do you remember what he said in that hog pen? He came to himself. Listen, listen. Did you ever connect it to what Paul's saying? In the story of the prodigal, he says, How many of my father's what? Servants have all they want to eat. And here I am perishing. Here I am perishing with these hogs. My father's servants. Freedom is only found in the father's house. And in the father's service. That's where you find freedom. Living in submission and service to God. That is freedom in life. Life and freedom is found in submission and conformity to the will of God. What is freedom? Freedom is the privilege of doing what you were created to do. To know God through Christ, to serve Him, and enjoy Him forever. Adam and Eve knew God as Heavenly Father. They served Him in paradise, and they were enjoying Him. What will we be in heaven? We will be people who know our Father. Rejoice in His presence. His servants will serve Him. We don't know what that means. But we will serve Him. And we will enjoy God forever. But friend, that's not just pie in the sky by and by. The reality is, that's where the joy is found now. In knowing God through Christ, out of a captured heart serving Him, and knowing the joy of the Spirit to your spirit, that is true freedom. The ancient church father, Irenaeus, said this, The glory of God is a person truly alive. You think the Lord doesn't want you to live? God delights that we should really live in His presence. Everyone, everyone serves somebody. Let's not kid ourselves. The question is who are you serving? For you, is it truly? I am a slave of Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm free. Whose slave are you? Only two choices to your life or my life. You know what the choices are? Listen carefully. Wages or a gift. You want life your way, you'll get what you earn. But God's got something a whole lot better. It's a gift. Verse 23, the wages of our sin, what we've earned, is death. But what? The free gift of God is eternal life, present possession. Lasting until the ages. The free gift is life eternal in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friend, listen, that's the only two choices. You listen to me. You're choosing either your wages of your life or you are going to choose the gift of God, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. And eternal life. And my friend, I beg you, choose 
very wisely. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Oh, friend, right now, I ask you, would you say, Lord, I don't want what I deserve. I want this free gift. Lord, you came for me. You lived for me. You died for me. You rose for me. You resurrected for me. You, You ascended for me. Lord, I want to live in Jesus. Friend, would you just call upon him? Would you cry out to him today? Those who cry out out of their slavery, the Lord will set free. You become a servant of the Lord, which is freedom. Friend, come, we sing, we'll pray with you. Our team is ready to pray with you. But dear friend, Christian, you know you're Christian. Let's live our identity. Let's present ourselves as people to live in freedom, serving the Lord. Ask the Lord, forgive me, Lord. Set me free from this unforgiveness. Set me free from this bitterness. Set me free from this bondage. I want to be free indeed, Lord Jesus. Father, hear our prayer. You, omniscient one, all-caring one, hear the cries of your children. Hear an answer, O Father. Bring deliverance and assurance of pardon and assurance of restoration wherever it's needed. And bring strength for reconciliation to those who need to go and be reconciled with others. And Lord, thank you for this truth. Who the sun sets free is free indeed. I'm a child of God. What do we say, church? Yes, I am.